Welcome, listeners, to the Cloud and Culture Podcast. I'm Danielle Burrow from VMware. And I'm Derek Harris from VMware. If this is your first time listening, here's a quick background. This podcast focuses on VMware Pivotal Labs experts and clients who share their experiences, tips, best practices, and opinions on that modernization and digital transformation. For a more thorough introduction, listen to a previous episode. This week, we're joined by Kristen Morse and Valerie Ellery of A21, a nonprofit dedicated to ending human trafficking around the world. They share their experience working with the nonprofit arm of VMware Pivotal Labs called Pivotal Act to digitize the organization's educational curriculum in a sustainable and secure way. It's a good discussion about an important topic, and it should give you a good sense of how Pivotal Labs' best practices can work even with organizations that have very limited IT staff and with non-technical teams trying to solve non-technical problems. But enough from us. Here, Valerie and Kristen discuss their experiences now. So Valerie, Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you here. Could you take a moment to just briefly introduce yourself and your role at A21? Let's start with you, Valerie. Hi, yes, and thank you for having us. I get the pleasure to serve all of the different countries that A21 services as far as our coordinators. I am the considered the global education curriculum specialist for A21, overseeing the education projects. Great, and Kristen? And my name is Kristen, and I have been with A21 for just over 11 years. I'm the global reach director, so focus on prevention, awareness, and education globally and get to work with every one of our offices to implement programs and just come up with the most effective strategies to help stop trafficking before it starts. Great, thanks. And Kristen, could you give us just a quick overview of A21's mission and you know how you got involved with Pivotal Act? A21 stands for Abolishing Slavery Everywhere Forever. And we operate in over 15 countries. We have a model um, of reach, rescue, and restore. So we are able to focus on preventing human trafficking, on operating hotlines, collecting data, the intervention piece, and then supporting survivors with long-term aftercare. And so we were able to engage with Pivotal Acts originally through a grant that we received from Dell and have been so excited about this process because it's new for us and something that we have never been able to do before, but have learned so much from. And even since the engagement, we're seeing how the processes and things that we learned is really impacting our operations and really helping to support initiatives that are impacting the globe. All right. And then what was the what was the impetus or what was A21 trying to accomplish by you know, but by getting by engaging with Pivotal Act, like what is the, you know, what was one of the the big, big goals you, you all were hoping to achieve? Well, I can speak on this one for a moment. I, I believe that we wanted to join forces with Pivotal Act to be able to validate what we have been using and some of the resources and the way we've gone about trying to get resources into the schools but then really define the most effective pathway forward because we, you know, along this journey over the last seven years, we have had some roads that we've hit some dead ends. And so we wanted to say, could we work alongside of, of a company such as Pivotal Acts and, and begin to look at evidence-based and is our curriculum, you know, what we're creating evidence-based? Could we use some of the interviews that they did with the teachers to be able to start going down that path to resource our schools so that we can have ways that sustainable ways 
that continue to help us to flow into these classrooms, you know, gaining understanding of the tech landscape. I love the opportunity that, you know, we can bring this online model to the schools. And that was something we've never really been able to tap into. So for me and for our education department of A21, I felt like it was just really trying to enhance what we're doing, but then validate and create pathways forward. And you mentioned, you know, kind of some obstacles and and hitting some dead ends. Are there specifics there um, that you can speak to that, you know, when you were working with Pivotal Act, you were really hoping to find uh, solutions to address? Well, I think, I, you know, I think looking at the stakeholders, I remember us doing a strategy that really involved trying to figure out, basically, I think it was called actor mapping and doing some of the personas and going in there and really saying, okay, who's our audience? How are we being impacted by, you know, the direct impact for classroom teachers versus getting to indirect with the communities and the parents, possibly the stakeholders with Department of Ed and even Ministry of Education globally. So that was a a real big um, eye opener to really go in. We've known we need to know who our audience is and, but yet to get in there and start really looking at, you know, Who's, who are they and what type of questions can we start to form to really speak to our audience? That was one big one for me with actor mapping and, and looking at the, the personas. I would also just add the timing of this engagement was so unique with COVID and it being 2020 and so much of school going online. And so having the opportunity to engage with educators, to do the interviews, to really learn what does technology look like in the classroom right now and where is it going Mm -hmm. helped us a lot to be able to anticipate for the future. What do we need to build? What will actually serve teachers well? And how do we need to set things up to be accessible so that they can use it in their classrooms? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. That's, that's something that comes up repeatedly whenever we talk about remote work, I think, or anything remote is, it's like, oh, some of the stuff is going to stick around for the long term. So it's 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 almost as, as horrible as a pandemic is. It's a learning experience in a lot of ways to really like make people think about technology and doing things in a, a technology enabled way with the tools that that are just going to become more and more ubiquitous. So that's that's interesting. That it 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 seems to span every discussion now. It's like this is this is a new way of thinking about the world around us and, and what we're doing. I, I I'm curious too. What was like what does software development or IT look like within an organization like like A21? Because I know sometimes you know Pivotal Labs and, and and the VMware and you know whomever the various organizations go into large enterprises, right, with huge IT teams. But I think the, the nonprofit world seems like a a bit of a different uh, ball game. So, <laughs> so maybe you can explain what you know what this process might have looked like or how you would have tackled the stuff historically or, or on your own. As an organization, we don't really have any software development in-house. Our overall IT management is really lean, so we utilize software as a service to manage everything. And this has really allowed us to manage systems and services for 150-plus staff and over 100 volunteers at any given time. And we actually only have one IT staff member. And so working with Pivotal Axe was 
quite the experience too of what does it look like to have a team of experts in these areas speaking into things and just providing so much context for what we need moving forward. That's really interesting. So I imagine, you know, sustain sustainability in terms of, you know, figuring out what the solutions really going to look like and how you can continue to manage that moving forward was, I imagine, a big focus of your engagement. Definitely. So what, yeah, what, what does it look like? I mean, maybe I'm jumping ahead too, too quickly, but I'm just curious, like, did it, did working with Pivotal Act help you, did, did they help you find kind of resources to like build something or are you using SaaS based like third party solutions or how, how did you kind of piece something together that's, that's sustainable? From that start of the engagement, we focused on like the three options of do you need to build something? Do you need to use something that's existing or do we need to pause and wait? And so that was really helpful because every step we were looking at those different options and they really helped to identify what exists and options that will work for us where we're at. And then also future options where if we do build or have more team or invest more or any situation, like what those different steps would look like in the future and what we could bring in at those points in time. And so I think for a nonprofit, we do really try to maximize our resources. And we know that every dollar matters and that there's that difference between investing in IT or a survivor of human trafficking receiving aftercare and that it supports each other. And it's all really important, but there is that just weight to the funding and the importance of stewarding our resources well. And so I think working with Pivotal Acts and the fact that they recognized that and they worked with us with that in mind and continuously came back to it was really, really helpful. And it also just helps us and the leadership of our organization like trust the recommendations because it's clear that those things have been thought through every step of the way as well. What were some of the areas where... You know, speaking of thinking through problems from and thinking through things from and solutions from various angles, what were some of the areas where maybe you you had thought about things, or, or you know, I'm just I'm curious where you know I'm guessing there were some successes, and there was and then there were some other things where you thought, okay, this is probably not a good idea, or this is not sustainable for whatever reason. I'm curious what some of the things where were some of the areas where you re, you, you recall specifically having to. Like, like thinking through a product problem or thinking through a solution and deciding oh, this is not actually the one to work and we have to go in another direction. Because I think some of those, I don't want to call them failures, but I think those examples often are illuminate for, for folks like that not everything is perfect on <laughs> your first idea is not the best one, right? Or, or whatever. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking we did hit a couple of them. Just even thinking, you know, our original thought was we were going to create a complete maybe IT system that housed this, that hosted this, that had it all in there from fillables to just interaction with videos and just a lot. And it was in the process of working with the Pivotal Act uh, team that we realized, you know, that might not be feasible, one. That might not be exactly what our users want because when they started doing the interview, we found out, especially in the K-5 category of students, that they really need in-person 
as well as online. So that started to become a, a pivotal moment for us to say, oh, you know, we need to to backtrack a little and look at maybe this hybrid model and continue to focus on making sure that with the content of human trafficking uh, prevention education, that it, it is such a sensitive topic that maybe it's best that we're not just doing everything online, <laughs> uh, that we have some in-person interaction with our students. So that was one for, for me is to kind of pivot and go back to, okay, we need a hybrid model in this. On the actual platform side as well, I thought it was really interesting because we were leaning towards in the beginning, building a custom platform or utilizing our website that is custom built. And after doing the research and looking at what already exists and what schools are using, it became clear that there's another platform that is already in schools and that fits most of the boxes that we needed it to fit to be able to deliver this product. And so because of that decision and that exploration, it will save so much money for the organization long-term and be a lot more accessible to educators who need to access the materials. So I thought that was a really great finding out of this experience as well. That's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. And so it sounds like the focus of this engagement really was truly on the curriculum um, delivery system for K through 12. How are so right now, I know I understand you have education offerings in person at the high school level. Is that right? Yes, in the United States, uh, we have it. We have a curriculum currently that we actually started writing in 2012 and published it in 2014. So we know and knew we knew that the the content really needed to be updated, and it was at that time written for just ninth and tenth graders. A21, we also have resources that have been created globally. Our primary prevention was 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 created more for the Thailand and the students of Thailand. And then when we have started rolling that out, we're realizing we can contextualize that. We can really utilize some of the unsafe and safe secrets and the, the things that we really put out there as objectives in this primary version for, for Thailand. We started realizing this could be contextualized across all of our countries and bringing it into what we are currently doing in the States. So A21 has worked alongside and partnered up with Florida Department of Ed to to try to really look at curriculum guides. So with it's a Title IV Part A grant working alongside with FSU and all, but A21's resources of the primary prevention, as well as what we had for the high school curriculum, Bodies Are Not Commodities, as well as our Human Trafficking Awareness Program, what we were able to do is take all of those resources and really start creating what is called a child trafficking prevention education curriculum guide. And so what we are working on and what we started working on, it was happening at the exact moment in this whole process with Pivotal Acts. And we were excited because in that we realized we could have a pilot of what we're doing and, and go into the state specifically and start narrowing it down to hundreds or thousands of needed teachers to, to go through a pilot study. And the Pivotal team was just instrumental in helping us, and they're still helping us think through the pre and the post and what, what kind of questions we need to ask and what are we looking for inside this pilot so that it can be credible, so that it can be in, a, in almost, like I said earlier, a research-based manner so that it has that validity to it. So 
that was uh, something we were excited about. And it's definitely, you know, taking what we had in the old and our ultimate goal out of all this process, along with, with this work that we're doing with Vimware and Pivotal Axe and Dell and, and uh, A21 is to ultimately create a version two of our original ninth and 10th grade bodies are not commodities, but create a version two that has kindergarten through 12th grade that looks at the threads of human rights and identity relationship and digital safety. And so as we've been rolling this out and talking through this with the pivotal team, you know, they've really given us insights of what to think about for metrics and understanding outcome versus outbate. It was, <laughs> Agnes would be so proud of me if I could remember this, but it was basically looking in the, the concepts of trying to do out, outputs versus outcome, I think is how she always stated it. And I, I love that because the outputs help me to truly understand how we tell our A21 story and what we do about that with how it was produced. But doesn't ever really address the impact where the outcomes did address the impact. And so we started that with that whole session we did with Pivotal Axe on um, that Agnes led through the outputs and outcomes and metrics uh, really was an answer to some of the areas that we maybe at our team with A21 were trying to understand and trying to see how can we measure this with accountability to it for it. And so coming out of that, that session was, was powerful with the understanding of metrics in that regard. I wanted to ask, going back a little bit, I mean, this references, I, I think, talking about even the, the, the IT department, as well as, you know, you mentioned that that your primary, your initial draft of, of this curriculum was from 2014 or whatever, because I think a lot of organizations of all sizes and types go through this as is, is figuring what I'm trying, I, and I'm curious from a nonprofit or from your, maybe just from your, you, the personal or organizational perspective of, of A21 is how, how do you think about that balance given just the world we live in, in terms of, you know, balancing, balancing, helping clients, which is probably, you know, obviously the most important goal with the fact that so much stuff is digital now with the fact that stuff needs to be updated regularly and, and stuff that seven, that's seven years old starts to seem certain <laughs> might start to seem, you know, dated at some point. I, I'm just curious how, how, how you guys go through thinking about balancing all of those things because it, it's, it's complicated for everyone. And, and again, for a nonprofit with, I, I think it's, it's probably even a little more complicated just given how dedicated everyone is to the actual, you know, humane <laughs> centered outcome of, <laughs> how we're trying to achieve so yeah i do think it's a challenging balance sometimes and um, we always try to accomplish a lot with a very little and i think that a21 does a good job at that in the case of a resource like this because it feeds directly into operations the more up-to-date the information that we're educating teachers and students on about human trafficking the better it is in terms of being able to identify more potential victims of trafficking and actually stopping the cycle of trafficking. Mm -hmm. And so we see it not necessarily as competing, but really supporting each other. But there is that evaluation of, is this urgent? Does it need to be done now? Whereas in the case of a survivor of human trafficking who comes into our care, there's a lot of immediate needs. And so I think it's that perspective of what's the long-term goal and what are we building over time versus what do we have to take care of right now. And so I think that we have done a good job at figuring out how to really maximize the resources that we have. So in 
terms of bodies are not commodities published in 2014, we've been able to take that resource and work with ministries of education globally and really repurpose the material and incorporate the content so that we're reaching millions of students along the way. And then once we do the second version and have it available, there'll be a long-term scalability plan for how we continue to do that in other countries. So it's always building upon each other. And I think that as the momentum continues, that's when you continue to bring in the investment and increased IT and support and staffing capacity because there is the momentum there and there's the effectiveness and you can see that it's already working. Yeah. And I, I think if I can piggyback on that, I think working with Pivotal Acts and just recently doing the strategic tree was a wonderful technique for us because it really refocused us, came back to, you know, how do we know we achieve the outcome and what is our outcome? It made us really go back in education. It's fewer students becoming victims of trafficking. So keeping that purpose, keeping that why, even in the midst of, of trying to balance all of this if we can communicate to our audience now that we know, you know, exactly, you know, the, the direct and indirect audiences, how can we, how can we take what we've learned and how can we take the curriculum that we have and really determine the marketing piece to this? And I think that that strategic tree helped us focus on, you know, what actions are we going to take to achieve this? I, I remember them asking the question and we just all started doing these brainstorming techniques inside there. And basically, you know, we came up with making sure that we create and develop relevant resources that in this case that can be updated regularly because we know the statistics are changing, things are happening. And so that online version, that opportunity to have templates where we can get in there and digitally change it without having to have to publish a hard copy and, and deal with a hard published version of what we've had in the past, but have that online version uh, where at any time, you know, as statistics change, as new methods or different things come up that we can help for prevention education, we're able to go back in and, and be able to alter this and change it up. But uh, yeah, I, I, I love, I mean, the, the concept of trying to balance it all with everything else going on, if we can just keep and I think if we're understanding your question right, Derek, if we can just keep at the level of this is the why this is necessary. How are we aligning it to the health standards? And, and, and like Kristen mentioned, in South Africa, we had to switch and, you know, we couldn't quite get into their standards at that level. So we started understanding where are their standards? Where are we to contextualize? And they were doing it through life orientation classes. So we took our, our basic understanding of what we have for prevention education and then aligned it to meet their needs and their language of how they present it in the classroom. So it's just an ever-changing, who's the audience, and here's our product. Our product pretty much stays the same, but then we contextualize along this journey. It sounds like you're able to really take advantage of the soft in software, like you know, to make those, you know, those little adjustments and tweaks in a way that maybe, you know, like you said, would be a lot more time-consuming or difficult to distribute as a hard copy. So Absolutely. Cool. And, you know, the, the thing about... I, I, for me, I can personally say as an education specialist for A21 and somebody that's been sitting in the seat of education as a curriculum specialist uh, for 30 something years is we we didn't have 
to look at digital and online versions the way we have to today. So our mind shifts have to change. We know that that is reaching our students. We know that that's one avenue, a venue that, you know, the space for A21, we haven't sat in and worked that course of action. And so this this whole opportunity with Pivotal Acts and, and taking us to the next level will truly help us reach beyond what we ever ask or imagine of understanding for our students and our educators. That's great. I had one question, you know, when we were talking to Ellie, who is the director of Pivotal Act, and she had mentioned, you know, working with A21, and and we were kind of in a discussion with her about software development and designing a product and thinking through, you know, the kind of unintended consequences that can occur and how important it is to really think through those very, very carefully when you're designing a product for a program um, such as yours, because, you know, you're dealing with such a sensitive and a sensitive topic and, you know, people's lives are at stake. So I wondered if, if there were any moments in your design process thinking through this product when, you know, you thought you'd kind of go down one road and then realized, oh, we probably shouldn't go that direction because it could lead to X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Is there anything like that? Yeah, I, I think it was, I, if I can remember as we were processing that, that mitigation, the risks and mitigation and unattended consequences. And one of them really struck home for me was thinking about students socially and economically disadvantaged as we go down this path and knowing that we're going to have to find alternative ways. So for that, it was, you know, we assumed maybe X was our user, but maybe it's really Y that was our user. And so thinking about how to go into the hybrid manner, thinking about the sensitivity within it. How how do you, you know, make sure there's protocols set up for, you know, disclosure as 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 such a sensitive topic, you know, so we were backtracking on a few ways of pushing forward and then kind of, you know, hitting a roadblock of, you know, we need to make sure that if we're going to put this kind of content out there that we make sure there's reporting and protocols and disclosure information, making sure that you know, I think one of the is an, probably a risk factor was also if the lack of effective distribution. You know, if we're going to create this product, we need to have a plan in place now for how to distribute this and distribute it into the schools and what's the best ways. So that's something else we're looking for future opportunities to be able to do. Yeah, on that, I also thought it was interesting just following what Valerie was saying. There was a point where we were talking about how you remove the barriers for accessibility for educators to be able to get this material. And we also talked about if students would have direct access to it. And just through the conversations, realizing how easy it is for the wrong person to access material, whether they're too young and the material's too old, or they don't have the proper support system that they need if they need to make a report or if they're in a dangerous situation viewing the material in their own home with at-home schooling that's happening right now. So I think those were all really interesting conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think of when you're starting because your motivation is good. Like, let's get this important information out to everyone, but realizing that there has to be safety and protocols and structure to that. And 
just making sure that we do our due diligence up front to avoid any unintended consequences that we can. Yes, those school networks are not entirely. <laughs> I think my daughter had an issue recently with someone's accounts got some kids got got hacked through. I think a video gaming service or something. But then all of a sudden he's in the someone's in her Google Meet posting profanity, and it's like yeah, you realize some of these schools, these these systems are are great for for certain stuff. But the more sensitive you get, the more you probably want to. The you know browsing histories are stored forever basically at the administrators yes and, and even some of our videos you know our videos there's some that if they're watching online an online version knowing that they may have a younger brother sibling a sister that could be viewing something that was not intended for them so you know making sure that we have you know as before they start to watch this video we have disclosures pop up and, and help them understand that we're getting not disclosures but situations pop up to let them know that we have content that might be not viewed by all. So to check your surroundings, you know, things like that, we started to have conversations about, especially if it goes to the online version way of how do you keep from having younger eyes not see what some of the upper grades might see. And I wanted to ask too, because you both had mentioned previously some of the the, the not only difficulties might not be the word, but the complexities, I guess, of working across different geographies and different uh, countries. And, and I'm guessing, you know, there are laws around data, there are data regulations. There's all sorts, especially with sensitive data, there's all sorts of different systems in place in different parts of the world. How, how do you balance working with that? Just, just generally, I mean, in terms of there's the cultural aspect and then there's the regulatory aspect. I'm just curious how, how you guys think about balancing that as, as you engage or try to do something in a different geography. Our organization is global, so we do work in countries and collect data in different countries. So usually what we do is look at GDPR in kind of the most strict area that we're in and then apply that rule across the board. So we definitely work on that with compliance and making sure that everything is in order. But it is a challenge to like constantly be keeping up with the differences in the different locations and to just make sure that we're doing everything in the way that we need to for security. Mm-hmm. And we do have coordinators in each one of the countries, reach coordinators that really start to look at in the education field, what are, who are the key players and what it what protocol is in place for schools and how do they get their resources into schools and especially looking at where it fits best as far as the, like I said, life orientation, the content delivery of it. And then, you know, we have had to go into countries and set up a memorandum of understanding, basically just setting up opportunities that we make sure that we have it covered on our end of the content delivery and how this goes about and making sure that it speaks the language of each country and the rules and regulations for them. Cool. Yeah. I, I always think back to, we had a, a customer, a case study a while ago, it was a GM and they were talking about how all of a sudden the a Chinese data regulation changed. And within a year, basically everything had to be hosted in mainland China. <laughs> and this was an info, like for an infotainment system. So it was, it was like, okay, one day we're, this is the operating <laughs> procedure. The next day we have to figure out how to trans or how to, you know, basically migrate all of this stuff to China <laughs> and in a very condensed time frame. It's like, you're right. These, like you said, just take sometimes just taking the strictest 
regulation and assuming that'll do it might be the the safest way to, to keep yourself out, out of you know out of harm's way or out of issues going forward i guess one thing that i i was curious about valerie you mentioned earlier you know doing this exercise to identify outcomes versus output and i wondered like what are those outcomes that you all are are working towards like what are those those top goals. And, and I'm wondering how you're measuring them, just given that you are global and what we've po- been talking about, you know, just in terms of data, like, like, are you, yeah, how do, how do you, how do you know if human trafficking is being reduced or how do you, like, how do you figure that out? Well, I think, and Kristen might speak better on this because we do have reports all the time that we're currently trying to keep uh, records of, but I, I think for us is identifying, you know, ultimately being able to identify the number of cases maybe confirmed in an area that once we've established and our resources are in that area, then maybe keep track of what were the numbers before. And then as we go through these programs with communities and with schools, you know, the number of cases confirmed, maybe the number of um, hotlines called. However, we know that when they've been informed and they've gone through prevention, that the numbers might rise, you know, at the beginning because, you know, they're all aware now. So trying to look at those, you know, in the schools, number of engaged Maybe it's, we call A-teams, but number of engaged programs that are now established. That was one of the things that we talked about when we looked at some solutions and some outcomes that might could, could occur through the work that we've done with Pivotal. Uh, number of trained educators, number of implementation of, of what we have with number of students, you know, impacted, those kind of things. But Kristen, I don't know, maybe you might be able to help. Yeah, I would I would just add to that, it's been really great working with different universities and doing longitudinal studies and just starting to really evaluate from a research-based perspective our programs and the impact that they're having. And then we also are able to collect different testimonies and stories as we go. And so just knowing that one student who went through our education program was able to recognize when someone tried to recruit her on an online social media platform after um, she made a report and then there was a police investigation opened up to look into it. So I think those stories that come out over time are really what motivates us as well, because we know that it matters. Like the one person, the one student who's educated, the one person who isn't trafficked, that's what it's about. And so we do our due diligence in measuring the numbers and getting all of the quantitative data in. But I think the qualitative testimonies and stories that come out of it are really what motivates us to keep going as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was definitely in that time of working with that metrics. I remember thinking, okay, can't just look in one area. We need to look at awareness, engagement, the resources. So that was a, a pivotal moment too, is to making sure that we're expanding our ability to what are the outcomes in all of these areas. And and I know that we started, you know, taking notes and changing some of the ways that we're trying to in the future as we start these pilot programs, collect this data and then measure it along this along this journey. That's great. All right. Seems like a good place to end it. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us today. Really been great to speak with you both. Thank you. For sure. Thank yeah, you. thank you guys.